Welcome to this Edge Church podcast. We are a people whose mission is to know Christ, be the church, and serve our community. We pray you are blessed and equipped by this message. The title of my message is Finish Well. Finish Well. Say that after me on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm going to share from, we're going to the Old Testament. Is that okay? We're going to the book of Chronicles. Is that okay? Whoa. The book of two Chronicles. Chapter 14, we're going to look at the life of the third king of Judah, King Asa. Let's read from 2 Chronicles 14. When Abijah died, he was buried in the city of David. Then his son Asa became the next king. There was peace in the land for 10 years. Asa did what was pleasing and good in sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and obey his laws and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. During these peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. That's a good report. That's a good man. This is a good king. Would you agree? It's a good report card. He was one of the first in the Bible to be characterised as a man of integrity. His 41-year reign marked by revival in the worship of God, the removal of paganism and its evils, brought in safety and security and reduced crime and military peace. His reign was so long and stable that it outlasted seven kings of Israel. He started so well, but let's read later in his story, 2 Chronicles 16, in the third, sixth year of Asa's reign, King Bashar of Israel invaded Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from entering or leaving King Asa's territory in Judah. Asa responded by removing the gold and silver from the treasuries of the temple of the Lord and the royal palace. Well, you think he would have gone (laughs) to the God of that palace and of that temple first when he's in trouble, but he goes to the silver and gold. Big mistake. He sent it to King Ben-Hadad of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Along with this message, let there be a treaty between me and you like the one between your father and my father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Break your treaty with the king of Bash uh, of Israel so that he'll leave me alone. Ben-Hadad agreed to the king's request and sent the commanders of his army to attack the towns of Israel. They conquered the towns of Ijon, Dan, Adbel, Beth, Makkah and all the store cities in Naphtali. As soon as Basha 
of Israel heard was happening, abandoned his project of fortifying Ramah and stopped all work on it. Then King Asa called all the men of Judah to carry the building stones and timbers that Basher had been using to fortify Ramah. Asa used these materials to fortify the towns of Geba and Mizpah. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to King Asa and told him, so here it comes. Because you have put your trust in the king of Aram instead of the Lord your God, you missed your chance to destroy the army of the king of Aram. Don't you remember what happened to the Ethiopians and Libyans in their vast army with all their chariots and charioteers? At that time, you relied on the Lord. At that time, it's a bad phrase, at that time. And he handed them over to you. Why come up with plan B when plan A has always worked? Plan A is trust in God Almighty. <laughs> this beautiful verse, verse 9, this literally leapt off the page as I was reading this earlier this year. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The prophet goes on, not subtly. What a fool you have been. From now on, you'll be at war. So what was this godly king's response to the prophetic word? Asa became so angry with Hanani for saying this that he threw him into prison and put him in stocks. It's getting worse. At that time, Asa also began to oppress some of his people. The rest of the events of Asa's reign from begin to end recorded in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, right as he's coming to the end of his reign, started so well, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Well, this is his moment, right? Surely he's going to go back to plan A. Let's see what happens. Yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but only turned to physicians. So he died in the 41st year of his reign. He was buried in the tomb. He had carved out for himself in the city of David. He was laid on a bed perfumed with sweet spices and fragrant ointments. And the people built a huge funeral fire in his honour. He started so well and finished so badly. He was a man in a notable period in Judah of a period of trust in God, of great victories, of a renewal of God's covenant with his people. But later in life, he starts to compromise. He looks at other ways, other plans, trust in other things. His faith wavers. He ignores God and turns to secular sources of help. We read this story and say, how ridiculous. <laughs> how could he?
He was a good man who did not finish well. The last years of his life marked by unbelief, hardness against God, oppression of his people and disease. What happened? What happened? He took his eyes off God and put his trust elsewhere. (laughs) He doesn't listen to the warnings and doesn't trust God completely and as a result becomes angry and hurts others. In 2 Chronicles 16.10, Asa became so angry that he threw him in prison and began to oppress his people. His heart becomes hard towards his God. He develops an illness and in the Amplified Version it says, developed a disease in his feet. His disease was severe, yet in his illness he did not seek the Lord, but relied only on the physicians. So let's come back to the key verse I want to focus on. 2 Chronicles 16.9 The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for hearts that search him and are fully, fully committed to him with undivided hearts that don't have plan B, C, D, E. They only have one plan. It's a great plan. God has everything. I trust in him completely. He is my way, my truth, and he is my life. God looks for a man or a woman after his own heart like David, Acts 13. God removed Saul and placed him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Well, what a posture. If we were to go through the Psalms and the Psalms that David wrote, we see through the Psalms his heart for God, his posture towards God. Don't have time, but I'll just highlight a few verses. In Psalm 62 verse 9, he talks about his humility. In Psalms 18 verse 3, his reverence. In Psalm 31 9, his respect. In Psalm 27 1, his trust. In Psalm 18, verse 1, his love. In Psalm 4, verse 7, his devotion. In Psalm 9, verse 1, his recognition of who God is. Psalm 23, verse 6, faithfulness. Psalm 1, 19, 34, obedience. Psalm 25, verse 11, repentance. What a soft and beautiful posture before God that makes God smile. He's always been and always will be after your heart. Hmm. 1 Chronicles 16. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His face continually, longing to be in His presence. God's looking for searchers and seekers after God's own heart that push aside everything else, And they are known by everyone that is in their world 
that these people are seekers of God. These people have only one plan. (laughs) These people don't compromise. These people trust wholeheartedly in their God. And they may mock you for it, but one day (laughs) when they're in trouble and what they trust in doesn't help them one bit, you know who they're going to come to? A man or a woman after God's own heart. May that be us. God searches, He watches, He waits. Psalm 14 verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. So when he looks at this family, he's not looking at our abilities or our dress code or our strengths. He looks through it all to one place. What's in your heart? Who are you pursuing? Who do you give your heart to? Who are you seeking and searching after? Who are you committed to? Are you a man or a woman fully committed to searching after God's own heart? This is beautiful to Jesus. This is attractive to Jesus. This is why Jesus came to get our hearts back, right? Our stony hearts, our broken hearts, our rebellious hearts, our sinful hearts. It's a love story. He came to win our hearts back. And our heart of stone was replaced with a beautiful heart of flesh, soft before Him. It changed everything because when the heart changes, everything else changes. Are you all good this morning? Are you all good near other campuses and online? God's looking for our hearts. (laughs) Three attributes of those that have a heart after God. Number one, they trust. We see in the story, that King Asa trusts not in God anymore, but he trusts in resource, in secular strength. He doesn't trust in God's power or access God's wisdom. A heart fully committed to God seeks God and seeks God's wisdom in everything. We see that Asa, because he rejects God, becomes a fool. says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. God is searching for those that are searching for Him. God is looking for those that want Him. (laughs) More than anything else, that will lay aside everything else that they're pursuing and pursue Him because when you pursue Him, you have everything else. 
Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's why I said in Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flows the springs of life. So if it's the wellspring, I know where my enemy wants to go. I know what my enemy wants to damage. I know what my enemy wants control of because if he has my heart, He has the rest of me, but my heart belongs to my maker. He not only made me and owned me, but bought me back, made me, owned me, lost me and bought me back with the most precious price in the universe, the blood of His Son. The shredded body of His Son so that He could win our hearts. Has He got your heart this morning? Have you given your heart fully and completely to Him? Do you trust Him above everything else? My last scripture, people around me will get sick of me saying it. Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord with parts of your heart. Yeah, you laugh because it sounds ridiculous. But how often do we do that? (laughs) All of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do. There's some pretty all-encompassing language here. (laughs) He will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Surely we've learned that, right? Surely over life's experience, we understand that our wisdom compared to God's is feeble. Instead, fear the Lord, turn from evil. Then you have healing and strength for your bones. Trust in all seasons. The strength of your trust is always revealed in the most painful seasons. Isn't it? Who knows, it's easy to trust God when everything's going, oh, I haven't used this word before in a sermon, swimmingly. When everything's going, it's very British, isn't it? Swimmingly. What about when you're drowning? Who do you cry out to? Who sustains you? Who never leaves you? When everyone else goes, who's still there? He's trustworthy. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And I don't know about you, but I've always fallen more in love with Jesus through my most painful seasons. He reveals more of Himself to me His strength becomes more obvious. I realise that He's still with me. He's never let me down. He never will. 
He can't. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is a sure, strong place. He's the rock of my salvation. (laughs) Spurgeon says this, the furnace of affliction is a good place for you, Christian. Yes, a good place. It benefits you. It helps you become more like Christ and it is fitting you for heaven. Well, that will change our posture in the pain because our body just wants to complain and our body wants to blame and our body wants to get out of it. When Jesus wants to draw us closer to Him and work more deeply in the issues of our hearts, not just for us, but for those that we will minister to in their pain because of our pain. I understand, I've been there, but God was faithful. He's trustworthy. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Our testimony, our story is so powerful. The maturity of the Christian doesn't enjoy painful times, but they're thankful for them because they, go, they understand that no painful times come without God allowing it. He's not unaware. But He brings His presence. In those times, you know, I'm looking at faces now nodding because I know your story. (laughs) He's so good. Unlike King Asa, we don't trust in man, but our great God. Psalm 20. Now I know that the Lord saves His anointed. He will answer from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. Well, this isn't us today. There's other things we trust in. (laughs) But we will remember and trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Number one quality of those whose hearts are searching for him is trust and number two is obedience. We see in the middle of this chaos in 2 Chronicles 16 that in the crisis, instead of going straight to God, he goes straight to the silver and gold. He goes straight to some carnal plan and goes to some secular execution, which is ridiculous given his his story and the things he's seen God do in his life. It's crazy. What is it? Foolishness. Without God, mankind has this propensity for foolishness. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. My life is just full of this weird desire to do dumb things. Love what it says in 1 Samuel 15. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings, Sacrifices are your obedience to His voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Those with a heart after God live a life of surrender, a life of humility, a life of obedience and a life of trusting in the Lord, our God. He looks for obedience 
which is our worship. Obedience is our love language. (laughs) Those that are parents know this. One of the most pleasing things for a parent is simple obedience in our children. That flows from a love. John 14, Amplified Version, if you really love me, well, the Amplified gets pretty heavy here. If, if you really love me, you will keep and obey my commands and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you help. So the wonder of God is he doesn't just require obedience, he empowers you to be obedient. Like no excuses. And all of the obedience, by the way, despite what we think at times, is for our own good. Again, parents understand this. Kids are young, they don't get what we're doing, but we know it's for their good. Father's the same. He just looks for surrender, obedience, humility, which makes him smile, just like it does us as parents. (laughs) Can I just thank this house for your faith and your trust in God through every season? been here 15 years, many of you have been much longer than that, all types of seasons and that love for God, that eyes on Jesus in every season, that standing on the rock, that trust in Him and not in man or circumstances or season, but an unwavering faith that God is in control, God is sovereign and that which He begun He will complete. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for standing strong and in prayer. Thank you for your godliness. Obedience is a heart response that attracts the Spirit's presence. Tozer says this, The final test of love is obedience. Not sweet emotions, not willingness to sacrifice, not zeal, but obedience to the commandments of Christ. Our Lord drew a line plain and tight for everyone to see. We have hearts that trust Him. We have hearts that obey Him because we love Him. And we're called unlike King Asa, to finish well. (laughs) At the end of his life, he develops a serious foot disease. Still doesn't see God. He finishes sadly and badly. Why would we start in faith? and trust and obedience and finish in anger and fear. (laughs) You know, finishing well, we think of that's for older people like me. You know, when you're getting near death, then you should make sure you finish strong. Well, the problem with that is we don't know when we're called. So finishing strong isn't something for an older person It's a lifestyle that we live all of our life because we don't know when Jesus is calling us home. 
So we don't know when our end is. So how do we finish strong? We live strong. How do we do that? With hearts that are fully committed to Him. And then we're ready anytime. Anytime. One of the most beautiful things is being around people in their last moments and knowing they're ready and the joy they have and the peace they have is ridiculous. Why? Because their hearts are full. (laughs) And the fulfilment of all they've lived, their reward, their joy. Finish well. Stay in trust, stay in obedience. Luke 20, but God said to him, you fool, you'll die this very night. Then you will, then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. The greatest wealth and treasure you have is a rich relationship with God, hearts full of a love for God, hearts that trust God and obey God, that live in joy that we sang about this morning, that isn't dependent on our circumstance. It isn't dependent on our season. What a beautiful way to live. What a glorious way to live. And if we live that way, there should be people grabbing us all the time in the world and grabbing hold of our cloaks and saying, what is it with you? I know what you're going through. I know the pain you're in. How can you have that peace? How can you still be talking life? Well, that's because my heart is full and no circumstance robs that. No season robs that because I'm living for an audience of one. (laughs) I pray you join me, but if you don't, I'm living for an audience of one, because one day, (laughs) one day when it's over, I'm gonna sit in an audience of one and give an account for my life that's gonna talk about trust, obedience, love. Amen? Are you all okay? Finishing well means to live well. The team, worship team can come. Timothy chapter two, verse four. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. (laughs) I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Who are the ones that eagerly look forward to his appearing? Ones that are hearts full, that live a life fully committed to seeking 
the heart of God. Someone prayed over me a couple of years ago and they said this phrase, which I've never forgotten. It was that God was saving the best of my story for the last part of my story. I'm not petering out. I'm not fading away. I want to gloriously go to glory, finishing well, finishing with a heart full of love for God. A life that lives with only plan A. And a life that pleases my Saviour. The way of the godly is upward. It's upward. I'm praying over you and your house that it will be known as a house filled with people that have a heart for God. I'm praying that this house will be known as a house full of love for and a heart for God. Press on and upward with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith in Philippians 1.6. I am certain the God who began the good work, I am certain. It's Paul's declaration. I don't hope, I don't think, maybe. No, I'm certain. Why is, why is this man so certain? <laughs> His heart's overflowing. He's lived a life of trust and obedience. Talk about finishing well. I am certain that God who began the good work, we didn't begin it. We, we, we didn't begin it. He began the good work within you. Where? In your heart. He will continue His work until it's finally finished on the day He returns. When the eyes of the Lord search this room, what does He see? How's your heart? How's your heart? Lord, we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You mostly for Your heart after us. Thank You for taking our hard heart. <laughs> you did all the work, Jesus. All we had to do is say yes and invite You in. And now we have hearts soft, full of love, full of grace, full of beauty. <laughs> We're so grateful, Jesus. May we be known individually, as households and over our campuses as, pe as people that have a heart after our God, people of trust and obedience and people who finish well. Amen. Why don't we stand and let's worship together in Jesus' Name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Find more resources and discover what's next for you at edgechurch.com.